0: A recent survey conducted by the Society of Human Resource Management found that one in three Americans have a criminal record, with 83% related to substance misuse felonies. However, 85% of human resource professionals and 81% of business leaders believe that workers with criminal records perform their jobs just as well or even better than workers without criminal records. So, you know it, it, we really need to promote um, second chance employment, recovery friendly workplaces. Um, we know that the 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 skill sets that are required to maintain a, a lifelong recovery, you know there there's grit and determination and sharp problem solving skills and um, and those employees actually result in uh, lower turnover, absenteeism, and actually lower health care costs.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Social Enterprise Alliance podcast. In today's episode, we talk about another of SEA's core values, which is equality for equity. We believe that everyone deserves equal access and opportunity. And as an organization, we strive to procure and empower an adequate distribution of all resources for all members, of all communities for social and economic prosperity. Today, we welcome Eve Lyon and Paul Wright, founders of SCA's Recovery to Workforce Affinity Group. The Recovery to Workforce Affinity Group truly embraces this value and meets regularly to discuss how to better bridge the gaps in providing access to all people. So you'll hear a little bit more from their perspectives of what the Recovery to Workforce Affinity Group is all about, And be sure to note in your calendar the next Affinity Group meeting, which is May 18th from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Even Paul, welcome to the Social Enterprise Alliance podcast.
2: Alrighty, Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the SEA podcast. We're really excited for today's conversation. Uh, Today, we're going to be focusing a little bit about one of our board values, which is equality for equity, which basically boils down to everyone deserves equal access and opportunity to resources and opportunities. Um, And so we're really thrilled to have on today Eve Lyon and Paul Wright. Um, They are both longtime members of SEA, They've been very involved in um, a lot of the work that we've been doing. And, you know, as we mentioned in the intro, they each have a very interesting and unique perspective that they come at this particular issue with. So why don't we, we'll, we'll just jump right in. Um, so I think a good place to start is, first off, what is the definition of equality and equity? You know, they're very similar sounding words. So for someone who's maybe not sure of the difference, how would you kind of explain the similarities, but also the important differences
0: between the two? So um, this is Eve. And, uh, the actual definition of equality is the state of being equal, especially in status, rights, and opportunities. Equity, on the other hand, is the quality of being fair and impartial. So, one is, in, in my perspective, is, is providing, um, opportunity. And then how you provide that opportunity in a fair and impartial way is, is equity. So that's sort of the difference. And, um, I know that, um, Paul has, um, some thoughts on that from the bigger, broader picture, even beyond just the recovery world. So Paul, if you want to share what you've been thinking about.
3: Yeah, thank you, Eve, and thank you, Lauren and David, for having us on this podcast. It's such an honor uh, to be on this new podcast with SEA members and those uh, around the country that are making, using business for the good. So uh, yeah, I would just say that in this work, um, whether you're in the workforce development and human capacity development, whether you're, uh, working in, in, you know, with people one-on-one and leadership, you really have to pay attention to equality and equity, making sure that, um, that, that not only is there a level playing field, but sometimes those that have been historically disadvantaged, um, or, or not had access, or maybe having uh, pathways to access. And that's what I'm looking forward to talking about today, especially in the realm of economic opportunity and social enterprises. What is a population that experiences this that we tend to forget
1: about? Or, you know, how do others see this way? How do we uplift others so that we can have better conversations uh, around equality and and lifting each other up?
0: So, I know that, again, Paul, I think, will come and speak to a broader population, but the population that um, I serve and work with currently is um, people in recovery. And I, I found in preparing for this conversation some very interesting surveys that have been conducted. And in one study from Washington State's Behavioral Health Administration found that racial and ethnic disparities weren't necessarily evident in the first year of post-treatment employment. However, American Indian and black clients had significantly shorter lengths of employment and black clients had significantly lower wages. And I would venture to guess that that's a common thread, not just in the recovery world, but um, throughout people coming out of incarceration, homelessness, um, just uh, many populations that are facing barriers to employment. So, um, Paul, I don't know if you have something that you want to add to that.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, uh, one of our SAA members, uh, Rediff, and I forget who the person there was part of a recent Georgetown University study called Jobs for All, where they cite that there are 30 million people in the U.S. as potential workers, many who have been traditionally excluded, like Eve mentioned, uh, that are really not part of the workforce. And these are, again, formerly incarcerated. Uh, those with disabilities or persons with substance use disorders that are in recovery. And so this is like an untapped human capital resource that could really help address our current labor supply issues, as well as provide pathways to economic mobility for those excluded workers. But here's the thing, it's going to require public, private, and philanthropic investment and coordination in those local communities. And that's that's part of what I've been doing in central Appalachia. Uh, I'm a, uh, consultant, trainer and coach, and I am partnering, um, with folks in West Virginia, which happens to be the epicenter of the opioid crisis and has been an epidemic uh, across our, 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 uh, communities in the United States. Uh, but I, I'd like to share with you a little bit more about the holistic approach and kind of all together approach that we're, we're, we're doing there.
1: Yeah, I'd love to hear more. And, and even, too, as you mentioned, like it, it just requires additional investment. Where does that investment dollar go and how does it empower that second chance pipeline?
3: Yeah, so the, the public, private, and philanthropic investments can work together to address those that don't have uh, access to workforce, and especially those that have had historically uh, disadvantaged uh, access to the employment sectors. And so one of the ways they make investments is through public dollars paying for workforce development. Uh, the workforce development boards in your area across the country uh, have different access to different federal funds that can help with training. I know Eve could talk to how she's accessed that and her prior you know, work and roles that she's had. Uh, the philanthropic sector is also very interested in making grants to nonprofits and, um, and, and public-private partnerships that are helping make sure that people are ready, uh, their work ready, making sure that families are, uh, have safe, affordable housing, that they have, um, you know, that, that they're ready and families, in, in fact, even in child care and education. So, uh, and then finally, the private sector is probably the most important. And when I mean private, just, you know, from small business to corporations, they really have a huge uh opportunity to be involved especially as a social enterprise or buying from social enterprises um so that that's a that's a, the type of investments can be purchasing uh and it could be policy and and using some of the, the our taxpayer dollars to help with training and it can be in the philanthropic sector, helping bridge the gaps, uh, helping prove out programs, and um, creating creating what I would call the you know kind of this ecosystem of public and private investment to make sure people are getting uh, gainful employment and be able to have lives and can be able to thrive.
0: And on that note, um, you know there there's data available that proves the benefits. A recent survey conducted by the Society of Human Resource Management found that one in three Americans have a criminal record, with 83% related to substance misuse felonies. Wow. However, 85% of human resource professionals and 81% of business leaders believe that workers with criminal records perform their jobs just as well or even better than workers without criminal Mm -hmm. records. So, you know, we really need to promote... um, second chance employment recovery friendly workplaces um, we know that the 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 skill sets that are required to maintain a, a lifelong recovery you know there there's grit and determination and sharp problem solving skills and um, and those employees actually result in uh, lower turnover absenteeism, and actually lower health care costs yeah. So, you know, going back to what Paul said about, you know, the Workforce Development Board, that is always a great place to start. Um, that's actually, you know, I'm facilitating a, a, my largest contract as a consultant right now for our local um, St. Lucie County Workforce Development Board. And the reason that I actually got involved with this organization is that prior to relocating when I was in um, West Palm Beach, Florida, I was funded by the uh, local workforce development board there, to provide uh, social enterprise support services and training services, because they recognized that um, we at the Lord's place where I was working, I uh, had a particular sensitivity and ability to build relationships with uh, certain barriers populations that had barriers to employment, uh, and that. We could actually help them to advance and um, come along uh, faster in acquiring vocational skills uh, and elevating their income and ultimately you know, becoming self-sufficient. So you know that's an a, a total example of money that was coming, you know from the federal government, from the state government, funneled through a workforce development board, investing in a nonprofit organization to build social enterprises that, um, I am proud to say I haven't been mm. with that organization for the past year because I relocated, but I would say that um, 90% of the staff in the two social enterprise fields that we operated are former clients.
2: Wow. And
0: I'm gone a year and they're still running these businesses. So one is a, a catering business and the other is a chain of retail thrift stores.
2: That's fantastic.
0: And yeah. And so they're like living proof of of the success story and and the benefit of the investment. Uh, Then when I moved to uh, St. Lucie County, they um, heard about my work in in Palm Beach County and and I was approached. uh, There were some resources available through the Florida Department of Economic Opportunity to address the opioid crisis in our local community. And so um, that's what I am tasked with now, which is building bridges between the treatment service providers, the judicial system, a law enforcement, and the workforce development community. And that's what I do every day is have conversations to bring people together to the table and say, how can we advocate for this non traditional workforce that's available and out there willing to work, wanting to work, available for, you know, advancement, making contributions. And you need help. So let's figure this thing out. So it's been pretty exciting to, to watch this evolve. And I know Paul has some firsthand examples too of some social enterprises that he's been helping to launch.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did want to backtrack real quick. I want to definitely give that, give that space to you, Paul. But first, before we dive in, I wonder if we could talk just a little bit more about, you know, I know we've mentioned it, but a little bit more in depth of, um, what are some of, the, the populations and their particular struggles in, um, you know, finding employment um, and then maybe even staying employed, what that looks like and how employers can create work environments that are supportive of
0: um, their barriers to employment. Sure. So, um, well, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, there are reliable um workforce but who are they so you know we're talking about people coming out of incarceration uh we're talking about you know people who were involved with some kind of substance misuse uh, or maybe have had a touch with the criminal justice system people who are entering the workforce maybe who just never worked you know maybe it was you know an illness in the family and somebody is forced to go to work and they don't have experience or uh a divorce. I mean, th- things just happen in families, and, and the rug gets pulled out, and all of a sudden somebody is at, at loose ends. They they may not have uh, educational background or relevant vocational skills. Some people are just getting. Um, you know, our, our world is changing in terms of you know technology, and so some people are getting left behind in terms of not having the uh, most current technological uh, work history. So I think just employers need to be open-minded and um supportive. And so if they um hear that somebody is uh, either already employed and struggling with some issue personally, put a hand out, help them. You know, it's it's much more beneficial to save that person if they're doing a great job. Um, and help support them to work through whatever it is. There are so many resources available in the communities, whether it be mental health services or um, substance use treatment, childcare, uh, first month's rent. I mean, there's just so many different ways that a person can be helped to um, just help them get you know back on their feet and become stable.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I like about this work too is that it is this like uh, you know ripple effect. Right. Where you can make that initial investment, help someone uh, find the job skills that they need or whatever it is to get on their feet. But to truly be employed in a way that um, provides, you know, monetary gain where they can they can start to think about sustaining their family and, you know, and uplifting themselves out of a, out of a poverty situation and, and really uh, benefiting all those people around them as, uh, as well.
0: Right, and I think uh, one thing that we've been really successful with here locally is we've been doing these, um, what I consider to be non-traditional job fairs, Well, we'll bring in, um, half the room is filled with employers, and the other half the room is social service providers. And often, they don't know about each other. They don't know what each other does. And the introductions have resulted in amazing employment opportunities, because here there's um, social service nonprofit organizations supporting the population that they serve, and then there's an employer with three or four openings who is willing to train, by the way. And these workforce development uh, boards do have on the job training dollars available, they have uh, uh, funds for when somebody is first hired, uh, if they don't have 100% of the skills that the employer needs, usually. Uh, between the first three to six months, uh, there's an offset in the wages that the individual is earning that's available. And these are all federal dollars, again, that are you know being thread through uh, the state down to the Workforce Development Boards. And so it, it the burden isn't 100% on the employer. Uh, there's also a federal bonding process that's available. So if an employer is hesitant about the background of an individual... Uh, they can go to their local Workforce Development Board and, and get a federal bond. It's like an insurance policy uh, that will cover them, God forbid, if something happens. Uh, but I, I hear, you know, occasionally of these companies taking advantage of it, but I've never heard of a claim in 10 years of promoting the uh, advantage of, of having these bonds. I've I've never heard of a claim, so... I think ultimately people who are given that second chance are so grateful for the opportunity that they will do whatever is necessary to be successful.
3: Yeah, if it's okay, let me... Let me give an example of a project that I'm a part of and a partner in West Virginia. It's called Communities of Healing, and it's a great example of this recovery workforce ecosystem, where it takes a village, so to speak, to support someone that's moving into employment and be in a, to a more healthy life. So we are part of a collaborative group that I work with the main street businesses that want to start or grow their business, but we're supporting them, uh, learning how to hire. And, and manage and lead, uh, either their first employee or a a whole group of people, uh, through who are in recovery. And so our partners include the Workforce Development Agency, which Eve mentioned they are using federal dollars to pay for up to 26 weeks of a qualified employee's economic, um, uh, salary. Uh, so, so that we're kind of pulling together those resources. We got the economic development uh, folks there that are identifying these startup businesses to be enrolled in the online trading program that I have at wvscourses.com, uh, where they're gonna, where we're training them on business skills. Uh, I'm actually training them, David, how to what it means to be a social enterprise and to create a common good business, whether they adopt adopt that language or not. We're also my partner uh, Tammy Jordan, who is. The the business owner, the private sector business owner that i've coached her for over three years and she's now uh expanding uh, from her cafe and wholesale bakery into three other locations throughout um, central. Uh, South Central uh, West Virginia and she is fabulous she tells her story of how over the past 10 years she's been working with women uh, coming out of formerly incarcerated those that are in recovery and those that are aging out of foster care and she has had a great success rate helping them and she has a whole training schedule that we you know collaborate together um, and we've we've had two cohorts go through that we've had 20 businesses that are now starting to employ people that are moving through recovery. So the whole premise is it takes that it takes the village, you know, to really focus in on a local, pro, local concern. And here we have this untapped human capital that needs the helping hand, needs to be able to find their pathway uh, to, to gainful employment and to have a healthy life.
1: That's so cool. Yeah. I love it. You know, and again, it keep, kind of keeps that ripple effect going. if, if, you're in immersed in social enterprise and then you're helping people also start social enterprises. It, it, it just keeps, keeps the party happening.
0: <laughs> I think an important factor, you know, you asked the question about what can employers do? I know on the social enterprise uh, workforce development curriculum, typically a, a percentage of time is devoted to life skills to help the individual really be able to move on with a balanced life. And it would behoove employers to incorporate some of those menus of services to their staff to help with things like financial literacy, maybe repairing, um, credit scores, uh, just, you know, the little things that I think employers don't always necessarily think about that help preserve their employee to continue to be successful in their life as well as in their profession and, um, you know, they do offer other health benefits and uh, sometimes fitness benefits and things like that. But I think mental health and cognitive kinds of interventions um, are as important as the vocational training that component that happens in the workplace.
3: Can I comment on that? Sure. So back to the it takes a village uh, philosophy here. When you look at a building out an ecosystem for recovery to workforce or just workforce development, you know, it really requires different sectors. So, first, it's, it requires, like, the justice system. Um, you have law enforcement and even the drug courts that are having people come through and they're trying to divert people out of uh, incarceration. So, they are putting them in, uh, you know, training programs that are helping them. Uh, and if they're nonviolent offenders, that's a great, great path for them. Healthcare systems, including the hospitals that can become overrun. Uh, with those, um, if we can be more preventative and keeping people out of the system, there. treatment centers, recovery treatment centers, housing systems, those that are doing the residential housing, they're, they're housing people that are going through these programs and, and people need to find gainful employment. Uh, econ- you know, I already mentioned the economic development folks, those that are the training or the workforce development, the nonprofits in the philanthropic sector, they're supporting human capital development, families and children and communities. And then as again, I'm, I'm kind of biased. I really believe employers and the business community have to be a part of the solution. These are the small businesses, the employers that could just hire one or two people, uh, that either have barriers to employment or they're, they're, you know, recovery, they're in recovery and they don't have to do everything. So one of the things I've seen is you could reach out to, a agency that's providing the financial literacy, the budgeting, the parenting skills, all of the different skill sets and bring them in uh, to your place of business and after hours have your employees be a part of a training. So you don't have to do it all. And I just want to encourage anybody who might be an enterprise or wanna be an employment opportunity, social enterprise, reach out to your ecosystem, reach out to those uh that are that are helping and see how you can be a part of this.
1: Yeah, I would, I would agree. Just, just even no matter who you might hire, I think that the world is shifting to thinking more holistically about that individual that's working within your team. You know, so if you have an opportunity for something like second chance employment and even can see how a more holistic approach can benefit that individual, that's the kind of positive energy that can also trickle into everybody else. I was just having a conversation with one of my team members the other day, just how you know, there, you can pretend that you can separate things outside of work uh, and keep them from coming inside of work. But the reality is if someone is struggling at home, if they are struggling with debt, if they don't know where their next meal is going to come from, uh, it's impossible not to bring that into your work. And so to be able to think as an employer, Uh, And within your team culture, uh, a little bit more of a holistic perspective of the the full human, I think, is something that's a positive trend that we're just seeing the beginning of.
0: I would agree. And I think, you know, this time right now is probably the most challenging time because so many people are working remotely. So you really don't even know what's going on in their personal lives. They may have a two-year-old in the background that was thinking about running through behind the person who's working. <laughs> I mean, we just don't know. And so it really is, I think, on um, the leadership within an organization to ask the right questions, to maybe do some surveys, to uh, open a door for conversation at least and, and find out how is everyone doing Um, Because you might find out that they're not doing as great as you think they are. You know, the work might be getting turned in on time, uh, but there could be so many other things happening, uh, and I I think that this is a time when we really need to be very, very um, open about talking to people and and truly asking them how they are, not just, hey, how you doing, (laughs) but really, what's going on in your world? Is there anything we can help with? You know, earlier we talked about um, misconceptions and and language and things like that. And um, in particular, when we're talking uh, about people in recovery, I, I think that you know there's stigmatizing language that often gets used. And I just want to throw out a, a couple of terms that are, are, are gentler, let's say, to or and more appropriate, actually. So when we talk about, um, we want to talk about people who is a person in recovery or somebody who has substance use disorder i mean we don't ever get embarrassed about talking about somebody that has heart disease but for some reason substance use disorder or alcohol um, use disorder uh, becomes like this taboo thing to talk about when really it is it's a medical condition and so we we just want to be gentle how we do it um So instead of saying substance abuse, we want to say misuse. Uh, Instead of saying somebody is clean, we want to say that they're a person in recovery. Or uh, instead of sober, they're substance free. Uh, Rather than calling somebody an ex-addict, we can say they're addiction free. Or again, a person in recovery. And in the sad case, when somebody relapses, we want to say they have a setback. Oops. Oops. You know, if somebody has heart disease and they stop taking their heart meds and they have to go back to the doctor, they had a setback. <laughs> they didn't have a relapse. So, uh, we really want to start using more mainstream medical, I, I think, language, um, when we talk about these populations and not, and be careful not to stigmatize. And I, I think that, you know, goes back to the whole equality, equity conversation that we're having. Uh, it's a medical condition and it's treatable and the people who receive treatment go on to be major contributing people in our world and make significant accomplishments in their lives and uh just because they have some kind of medical condition it shouldn't be uh, that they carry a label the rest of their lives
2: yeah i think that's awesome and that that those, you know, word swaps that you mentioned just then, like it, it totally changes the tone to be more empowering and, um, more seeing the individual and not necessarily their struggles, you know? Um, and so I think that's, that's, really awesome. I want to give you both a chance to kind of talk about some of the things that you have been up to in the SCA circle recently. For those of you that don't know, Eve and Paul um, are two of the co-founders of our Recovery to Workforce um, affinity group. And these are exactly the kinds of conversations that they're having in this group. How to as, you know, employers and as of those working, um, in the recovery field with that population. Um, these are the kinds of conversations that, that they're getting to have in a really awesome, um, supportive and collaborative setting um, and to be able to ask questions like, you know, as employers, how do we, you know, make this a welcoming environment for those with barriers to employment? So Eve and Paul, do you want to share a little bit more about um, the group and what y'all have coming up?
0: Well, the purpose is to share best practices among employment opportunities, social enterprises that want to um, scale up their operation and their impact and so we're going to explore how to add value to your local recovery to workforce ecosystem, how to leverage public and private resources, and just to, in general, be more innovative. And uh, we just want to have conversations about all of that and share. We know that there are so many wonderful things happening around the country. And so to bring everybody together, um, to be able to share best practices, experiences, challenges. I mean, it's not always going to be, you know, the, the, the happy ending or the perfect story. So we want to help people work through um, challenges that they might be experiencing and just um, share resources together.
3: Absolutely. And I want to invite all the SCA members, or if you're not an SEA member, become one, uh, if what you've heard today, you know, is of interest, if you have something to contribute the conversation, which I know many of you probably are experts and have a lot, a lot more experience than Eve and I do. We want you to be a part of this conversation. Uh, you'll just, you know, as, as a member, you have access to the Slack channels and just look for our Recovery Workforce Slack channel. Uh, be, you know, asked to join and then you'll get the Zoom link uh, and you'll get also some videos and documents that you can look at to be able to, even before the conversation, to contribute. Now, we look, we have fun, too. We want to network <laughs> and also just get to know one another. So just want to welcome you to be a part of that conversation.
2: That's awesome, Paul. Thank you both uh, for sharing a little bit more about that. Um, sounds like that meeting uh on February 23rd is going to be awesome. So we can't wait to hear about it. Um and if you are interested in joining SEA, um, feel free to shoot me an email at info at socialenterprise.us. We'll get you connected to awesome people like Eve and Paul and the work that they're doing in their communities.
1: Yeah, perfect. Thank you guys so much for being on and and sharing with us all about your work.
0: Well, thank you for the opportunity. You know, we're both passionate about what we do, and and we love having platforms to be able to share, you know, our experience, but also. um, really put it out there to welcome other people to come into the conversation because as Paul keeps saying, it does take a village and the more people that we bring to the table, uh, the more resources and solutions that we'll
3: create. Thank you all so much. Uh, appreciate it. And yeah, we just
1: are excited to see the village continue to grow. You guys have been long, Uh, Longtime SCA members have been doing this work for a long time, so to be able to share with others and build into this community, specifically within this demographic and passion work, is is pretty special. So uh, just thank you for your support of SCA and uh, from the past and as we move forward.
2: Thanks, y'all. Thank
1: you all so much.